0: Good morning, everybody. It's officially winter now, totally, completely, officially. It's going to be like 80 degrees next week, but you know, I'm, I'm just joking. I don't know if it is. If you're a guest, here, welcome. I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, I'd love to meet you on the way out. Um, we are continuing in our series in the Gospel of John, and um, we kind of, last week, we kind of hit this pivot point, if you will. Where the, the the first part of the Gospel of John was was really like all these signs that Jesus was doing, and how those signs pointed to who Jesus is. Um and so um and so last week we saw that there's a shift, right? And so all of these signs had pointed, not not only did they point to who Jesus was. They also pointed to his ultimate demise because ultimately you had the people that were offended and didn't like what Jesus was doing and how he was going to change their circumstances. And and they were unwilling to lose their place and their station and their lives for God. And so we saw that pivot happen last week. And and now what we're going to see is it's going to be over and over again, John, as he's writing this, is, Remember, he's writing this whole thing so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so now what he does is he shows us why Jesus is worthy of glory, why he's worthy of honor. Why is it that we should come in here and worship him? Why do we sing loudly? Why are we celebrating Jesus? Why is it not just some dire thing of just us following this this God that... Demands certain things from us. Why is it not that? And so what John is going to do is he's going to show us these pictures. These like storybook glimpses of Jesus interacting. And he's going to show us just how different he is from us. And how much more significant and how much weightier God is and his purposes and his thoughts are than ours. Scripture says that that his ways are beyond our ways. They're they're beyond our even comprehension. And so this morning we're going to see this in the context of love. Before we get started, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your son. Thank you for giving us your word and speaking to us or caring for us. Enough that you reveal yourself to us. You want us to know you. You want us to know what real love is. And I pray that this morning that you would just help us to see love in particular in a way that we've never seen it before. And may it cause us to honor and worship and glorify you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So I we'll have verses on the screen. If you have a Bible app or a Bible, you can open that up. There's Bibles kind of scattered throughout. Um, I'll be reading from the ESV, and I, I have not ever said this before, but I actually have like the older uh, ESV. They changed it in like 2016. They made like 25 corrections to it or whatever. So sometimes there's words that are off a little bit. That's not you. That's me problem. <laughs> I just uh, haven't, haven't updated my, my, my Bible. But um, So it'll be like a word off. It's nothing significant, but... We'll be reading from the, uh, the ESV. All right, so let me, I, I, gotta, uh, I need you guys to think about this for a second. And I really spent a bit of time thinking about this on my, in, in my own kind of, as I was like lighting a fire outside yesterday, I was thinking about this. What, how have you experienced love? Okay, and I'm not, and this isn't, this doesn't necessarily have to be romantic love. Okay, my daughter sent me a picture of our puppy dog this morning, and she sent it to all the family, and she said, I just thought you guys should have this. <laughs> and it's my dog sitting on her back, right? There's love there, right? It's puppy love, right? We call it that. But, but there's like a genuine love for animals, right? And there's love towards your friends. There's love towards your family, loved ones, right? A, a significant other, a marriage, brothers and sisters, right? You guys love each other, right? I'm looking at a couple of brothers and sisters here. All right. <laughs> they nudge each other. Um, all of those loves are small bits and pieces of real love. It's not the real thing, it's not the folk thing, it's not the complete thing. It's not. And Jesus is going to show us, well, John's going to show us as he walks through what Jesus did and what he said, that the love that we experience should cause us to want more love, and it does. Usually, we answer that call in the wrong ways. The whole point of it is that we would long for a love that endures. How many of you here have had love lost? either from an animal passing away or a broken relationship. Or maybe Thanksgiving is the time that, and Christmas is the time that this is the, the most difficult time. You see, that, that's, that's the dichotomy we have, right? We love this love, but it's fickle, and temporal, and it fades. And we sit here and we wonder, is there something more? And God says, Absolutely, there's more. I am love. That's what he says. He says he actually defines love. We wouldn't even know what, God, what, what love is if God wasn't love. Our, our very definition of it is based on who God is. And so we're going to make this huge contrast today between what is the love and how do we love and how does Jesus love, how does God love. Now, here's the problem. I'm going to say things. And you may be going like, well, you have a jacked up version of love, <laughs> right? Like, I may say things that you go, I don't think Jonathan's ever experienced the right kind of love because my love is better than that. And, and perhaps it's better, but it's not God's love. And so I, I want us to establish that and, and look through this from a very critical eye and compare how we love How the world loves, and I wish we had other words, because we love pizza, and we love people, and we love animals, and we love trees, and we love wind, and we love sunsets, right? We we love all these same things, but they're all different, right? And the world's love is sadly not the love of God. All right. This week, you guys, right, in your small groups or in your own personal study time, read through probably one of the most loving scenarios stories that we read in the Bible and it's where Jesus goes and he washes the disciples' feet and it's frankly it's gross i mean just be real about it it really is a fairly gross thing and if you if we're going to back up a little bit here and we're going to start in John chapter 13 verse 6 says, so he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Implying, like, I, I, you shouldn't be doing this. I should be doing this to you. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And so, so Jesus, as, as he, so they're all eating at this dinner. I mean, just picture yourself, Thanksgiving dinner, okay? When you guys are sitting down for Thanksgiving dinner, I want you to think about this, all right? I'll, I'll put this little seed in there, all right? Imagine if somebody in your family got up, changed clothes into some like like work clothes, grabbed a towel and a bowl of water, and started walking around to every member of your family and started washing your feet. That'd be weird. And it was weird. It was weird for the disciples. I mean, now in that culture, foot washing was a little bit, it, it was, it was, it happened more, right? Um, because they had sandals and, you know, they had dusty feet and all this stuff. and so, But the people who would do it were servants. It was, it was so below what they would expect. Jews did not even wash each other's feet because it was beneath being Jewish. Like, that's the context. We don't even have an equivalent. I was actually thinking about this for quite some time. I'm like, what's like the most humiliating service thing you could do? And I'm like, I don't know that we really, I think we just got rid of those things. (laughs) Septic tank, sure. You know what I mean? But But like to lovingly serve somebody, I don't know. I don't know that we have something that's that menial and that humiliating. And so this is what Jesus does. And so he says to Peter, there's a reason why I'm doing this. It's a symbol. It's a symbol of a future cleansing, okay? So, so there's part of this, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on that today, but he's saying, like, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part of me. It's not like Jesus is, like, standing his ground going, like, I really, really want to wash your feet, Peter, He's saying, like, there's a, there's a future cleansing. There's a full cleansing. This is just a little bit. Let me serve you because you need God serving you. You need God to sacrifice for you. And if you don't allow him to do this, how are you going to let me die on the cross for you? And so this is the first thing that he does. And then the second part, in verse 13, Jesus says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So the second reason he does it is as an example. Now, this isn't to say that we should all be going around, like we're not going to all kick off our shoes here and start washing each other's feet. This is, this is a, a mindset of love. And he says, if, if I'm your Lord, And I'm your teacher, and I do this, then you should. It's an example. It's not beneath you. In fact, there's nothing, what Jesus implies here is there is nothing beneath us. There's nothing, we're not too good to serve one another in any capacity, in any way whatsoever. None at all. And that's what Jesus establishes here. This is, this is the suffering servant, the humble servant. This is, this is where he's not focused on who he is and, and being some uh, you know, uh, somebody that's worthy of worldly praise. He goes, I'm gonna be glorified by my Father. Like, that's not what I'm seeking. What I'm seeking is to demonstrate real love. So we're gonna launch off of this, okay? So th- we're gonna spend our time on that part. Jesus did this as an example of God's love. I'm going to spend the next bit on just that because it's so incredibly significant. And we're going to pick up in verse 21. And the first thing that you're going to see is that it's a troubled love. Jesus' love for us is troubled Look at what it says in verse 21. After saying these things, after after he describes for them why he did what he did, as he describes for them that somebody at the table is going to betray him. So he said this. It says in verse 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. you back up to verse 18, he has described this. He says, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Jesus is troubled. Why is he troubled? <laughs> he just washed the feet of the man that's about to betray him. You guys get this, right? He knew it was Judas. Judas was sitting there eating with him at the table. He knew how he was going to betray him. He knew when he was going to betray him. This troubled Jesus. It didn't trouble Jesus because he he was, you know... uh, you know, sad that the event was going to happen. He knew this was, this was God's foreordained plan. He knew he came to die. He was troubled for Judas. Because here is Judas about to betray him. He, he was sad and troubled for Judas' own slavery to sin. see, this troubled him so greatly. Because he goes, here's Judas. Here's Judas sitting across the table. I mean, some of you guys are going to sit across the table from Thanksgiving, from family members that you may or may not like. Imagine sitting across the table from somebody whom you know is intent on murdering you. How are you going to treat them? You going to have a little small talk? Talk about what next week's going to bring? For some context, Jesus is going to be killed before next week happens, right? And so this is, this is the context. This is where love is because Jesus' is troubling for Judas is because of his spiritual condition. He's troubled because he knows where Judas is at. He knows his slavery to sin. He knows that his responses aren't his own, that, that, that he's got this temptation, and we and we walk through this and we see that, that Judas has been tempted, and we'll get into that on the next point, but like he's troubled for him. When was the last time we were troubled for somebody that we would call our adversary? somebody who's treated us poorly, troubled in our spirit for their soul. Do we? I don't. (laughs) I don't. I'm not good at this. I don't. And I think this is a huge contrast because the world would say, why in the world would you do that? You know this person is going to do this. The, The most effective thing to do is to ignore them, distance yourself from them. Maybe you can avoid the circumstances altogether. That's what the world would say, and they wouldn't even condemn you for it. It would be logical. Right? Like, you don't have to show this person love if they're horrible back to you. None at all. You get right? And this is what the world's love looks like, and it doesn't even have any ability, any ability to be troubled in spirit for the, the salvation of their souls. You see, that's the difference, right? And this is and I will, my goal today is that we walk out of here seeing that our love is pathetic, okay? And I've used this word now a couple times on, on stage, and I, I, think it's, I think it's worthwhile, because I don't think our love is as good as we think it is. It is when we compare it to each other, but not when we compare it to God. You see, because real love cares for somebody's eternity. And so if they're a brother or sister in Christ, and they've offended you, and you know that they're a follower of Christ, then how, how do you have love for them? Even though that they seem to be your adversary right now, how do you have love for them? Well, you pray that that they would, if it if it's truly is a, their problem, which 50% of the time, it's probably not just a them problem, right? It's probably a little bit of you problem too. But you You pray for their sanctification, right? You pray that that they would be able to reflect Christ more in in how they're talking to you and how they're acting and living. And and we hope that for each other. And I hope that for all of you in here. And I hope you guys pray for that for me. That in how I speak to you and how you speak with each other and how we care for each other, that it would be something that is God-glorifying. That's our prayer. And so I can't get offended at that. I, I pray for that. And if they aren't a follower of Christ... They're enslaved to sin and they have no hope of eternity. And you're going you're gonna to fight about dumb little things in this world and, and they don't know Christ? What are you doing? What are we doing? <laughs> How in the world do we sit here and fight over our Legos and, and God's sitting here going, can you, can you just put them down for a second and point them to me? So that's the, that's the first peace of this that that his love was troubled and i would pray that our love for each other would be troubled it would be troubled in our spirit because we would long for exactly what warner described up here this this beautiful place where we're going to be in the presence of god and we're going to have like pure love and perfect love and we're going to experience it for what it was And we're going to look back on this we're going to go that was pathetic that was really poor love that's my prayer and that's my, my prayer is that we long for that. And the, the second part here is that this love is characteristic. This one, this one is so cool, right? So, if you look at uh, verse two, chapter thirteen, verse two, it says, "During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, right? So he sets this up. Judas has come to supper, and." We're not going to spend a lot of time getting into like the the cosmic warfare of what's going on here, but obviously Satan had 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 kind of jumped into Judas's heart to some extent, started started pulling, started tempting, started doing whatever it is that we experience often. Right? How should I respond? How can I respond? What? How do I live? How do I act? Now skip down to verse twenty-two. It says. After Jesus says these things, it says the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So the disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. I'll I'll just pause there for a second. I actually got a text from somebody recently. I'm going like, what's happening here? Because like, like, hey, Jesus, who's it going to be? He's like, the person I'm going to give the bread to. Here Judas, and everybody's like, "I wonder who it is. <laughs> how how does this play out?" And if you if you if you actually Google um, the Gospel of John, um, it's like it's word for word through John. It's actually really good. It's like three hours long. I'd encourage you guys if you've never seen it. If you Google, uh, I think it's like Visual Bible. Maybe um, it's got the dude from Lost is the is is plays Jesus in there. Um, Anyway, it's really good, and, and, it, and it does this, and, and I, I actually sent it, and, and it's like, he says, who's it going to be, and Jesus leans over and whispers to John, and he tells it like a secret, right, and then he does it, and then plays out, so it's like, plausible, all right, you know, that, that makes sense, because otherwise, this really doesn't make a lot of sense, all right, so let's just give it that nobody, after he does this, he's given the morsel of bread to Judas, and nobody knows that it's Judas, with the exception of John. All right, where was it? Uh, some thought, uh, verse 29, some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. And then it says, so after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, it was night all right so here's the context right so that's the whole that's the whole betrayal at dinner that's everything that happens and john's giving us all of these details why we have to ask why right why why is this preserved why did god give us this all of these details why wasn't it just enough to just say this one dude like turned him over have you ever thought about that? Like, this is something fundamental that we have to ask when we read the Bible because if, if God inspired this and preserved this and gave this to, him, to us and He calls it His word, it's there for a reason and for a purpose. And so when we look at this, we go, why does He do this? Look at what it says. go back to verse 27. It says, Then after He had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Jesus didn't try stopping him. Why? That's weird, isn't it? I mean, this this goes to show, right, that that Jesus is omniscient. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that the betrayal is coming. He's not clamoring. He's not reacting to it. He's not trying to stop it. In fact, we've seen this. It's a very scheduled ministry that Jesus has done, very timely. He started it when God wanted him to start it, and he's ending it publicly when God wanted him to end it, like all of this is orchestrated for God's glory on God's timing but this is an ominous ending John says it was night why why does that matter it's very it's very dark it's very significant here because Jesus his love is not a method he doesn't try, why did he wash Judas's feet? Was he like, maybe if I wash his feet, he'll like me. Doesn't that look a little bit like our love? Maybe if I show them love, they'll love me back. That is worldly love. That is our love. That is all of our love. I love, I give love. To receive love. And when I don't receive love, well, then I go, I'm not giving love there. Not, I'm not trying to point at anybody here. So, right? Like, right? Isn't that how we do this? And again, what would the world say? Totally justified. Why would... That's totally inefficient to give love, to show love to somebody who isn't going to love you back. Why waste your time? Go, go spend your time caring for somebody else. God's love is part of his characteristic. It's who he is. It's not, a, it's not a technique. It's not a wooing method. It's not like, you know, when you're a, you're a young guy and you're like, I'm going to take this girl out. I'm going I'm to show her like how fancy and, and right, all these things, like so that she'll love me, right? I mean, that is legitimately exactly how we think and operate. But this love is characteristic of God. You see, what Jesus knew is that this wasn't about just Judas and him. This wasn't just about this, this cute little thing that was going on. Jesus wasn't trying to solve the problem. He wasn't trying to create love in Judas. In fact, if you turn over to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers... Over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. LD says this often Jesus isn't sitting there wringing his hands, going, I really hope Judas changes his mind. It's not how our God operates, He's sovereign. And his love is characteristic of who he is. And so he's not trying to stop this. And yet, in the midst of this, he loves Judas. He loves him profoundly. Not in some superficial love, so much so that he washes this dude's feet. He genuinely loves him. And he's not trying to get him to change his mind. Because he's love. This is just who he is. This is why you don't ever read a bad report about Jesus. Right? Like, there's no historians. There was nobody. People hated him, but nobody had any dirt on him. Why? Because he's God, and he's love. You see, so many times I think, we think, we we take our love, and we transfer this to God. And we go, this is how I love. This is how I've seen love work, and how I've seen love fail. Fail. And so I think, I interpret that God's love is just as fickle, just as weak, just as pathetic as mine. And we've totally got this thing backwards, completely. If we just understand this, that God's love is part of who he is and, and in his sovereignty, he knows all of your hearts. He knows you and he loves you. Look at what it says in, in Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 38. He says, This is Paul writing. He says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am sure, this is what Paul says, I am sure of that. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. We say this all the time. But the only reason we can say that is because God is love. It's his characteristic. It's who he is. As great as our relationships are, maybe some of you have just phenomenal relationships, and you go, this love is perfect. It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's powerless in comparison to God's love. And in fact, the only perseverance in your love, in your relationship, is fueled by the power of God's Holy Spirit. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, right? Love, right? That was the very first one. He goes, that's the fruit of the Spirit. So when you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, and you're a follower of Christ... God goes, I want you to experience this love, this profound, this real love. That's the only way we can experience it. So what does that mean? It means outside of God, what is love? It's trash. It's nothing. It's powerless. It's emotional at best. All right, so, so his, it's a troubled love. It's a characteristic love. It's a unique love. Look at in verse 31. All right, so pay attention here. If I've lost you up to this point, this is, this is a good one. Verse 31, when he had gone out, so, this is, so Judas is now gone. Jesus says, now is the son of man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Remember, we saw this before, right? Jesus is going, my glorification is coming. You're going to see me for who I am. You're going to see my love because I'm about to put up on the cross for you, for your sins. I'm about to die on your behalf. You want to see what love looks like? Let me show you. Verse 32, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And then look what it says in verse 33. Little children, just cute, it's like a I mean, it really is, right? Like, Jesus looks at them and goes, all right, kids, listen up. This is an affectionate term. He's not not being demeaning or anything like that. He's not belittling them. He says, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. This is heartbreaking. This is heartbreaking for the disciples. Like, we left everything. We are following you. We are disciples. We are followers of Christ. Like, in a, in a very real sense, right? We say that we're followers of Christ, but in a very real sense, very physically, they were following Christ every morning, every day, every night. They were following him. And he goes, I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to make a left. You're not going to be able to make the left. You're not going to be able to follow me. They didn't understand what was going to happen. And they go, but we want to follow you. Why why wouldn't you let us follow you? And in verse 34 and 35, he explains why we can't, why they couldn't follow him. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you. If you have a Bible, underline that new, Okay? a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Is that new? (laughs) Wouldn't Wouldn't that have been a pretty common thing? It's not like the 21st century discovered loving people. Right? Like that would have been a very common thing. You probably have a colon in your Bible maybe after that. That you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another so it's not that you're supposed to love the way the world loves. in fact what he's saying here is stop loving the way the world loves. Stop it. Stop loving the way the world loves and start loving just the way that I showed you love when I washed Judas's feet. that's what you should do. It's a new commandment. it's a commandment. it's not an option it's not an option man? It's a commandment. Love this way. And then verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And in fact, that that last section there, if you have this love for one another, that's what he's saying. He's like, if you love in the way that God loves, everybody's gonna know that you're a follower of Christ because you're gonna be glorifying God. Because people are gonna see a love in you that isn't the same as the love in the world. That's the commandment. And so Jesus goes, I'm leaving you, but I'm leaving you here. I'm leaving you here to do this. We exist, we are here to do this. We are not here to be the most successful followers of Christ there have been in a worldly sense. We're not here to be extra comfortable. We're not here to, to, you know, build our kingdoms. We're here to show love in a way that the world will go, that's a different love. Where did that come from? That looks different. I got to find out. Why do they love that way? If if people if the world would just say that about you, could you imagine? If your coworker said that about you, man, you are such a loving person. Something's different about you. Why do you love this way? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't evangelism be easy then? You're like, I don't know. I just I'm just I'm just being me. I'm just follow Christ, I know Christ, and, you know, I, I, I've spent time in his word, and, I, and I, I know how he loves, and so I just try to love the way he loves, and I'm not perfect, and I mess up all the time, but. You see, somehow we've convinced ourselves that, like, evangelism is, is simply a matter of, like, factual communication, and, like, if I just, if I say the right formula, if I do the right things, if I knock on all the right doors and I just do the things, then, then things are going to work out. And then we sit here and we live this life that looks just like the rest of the world. You know, your love is just as fickle as my love. I don't understand why. Why would I want what you have? And Jesus gives the answer right here. Love like me. Care for each other. It's a unique love. It's God's love. It is not the love of the world. You can go over to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. See, he's not talking about just worldly love, right? Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. See this? A love that does not point to God is not real love. So think about all those relationships that we talked about at the beginning. Why? What's the purpose of that relationship? What's the purpose of that love? Is it simply a give and receive? Is it simply, I love because I like to be loved? I have a pet dog. That's totally a one-directional love, right? (laughs) If you have an animal, right? Like a dog loves you. doesn't matter how often you ignore her, right? Like she loves me. Is, it, is it, it, do I just have, is, is, are all these relationships just like our pets? Just love for the sake of us gaining something, for glorifying ourselves, for making us feel better? Or does our relationships communicate a greater love, a God-glorifying love? Lastly, this love is a steadfast love. So remember the disciples, we're gonna pick up in verse 36 here. Remember, the disciples still don't know that it's Judas. Judas has left. It's just them, it's just the eleven now. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? You see, Peter wanted to probably make it clear that it wasn't him. <laughs> he wasn't gonna be the one that was betraying Jesus. He's like, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. you see, so, so Peter's like, I'm not gonna betray you. I don't know who it is that's gonna betray you, but of, of the rest of these dudes, it's not gonna be me. I'm gonna lay down my life for you, Jesus. He says in verse 38, Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Oh, man. That had to have hit Peter hard. Seriously? I didn't think, I didn't think, I I didn't think I would be there. And so what John presents here is Jesus' love, he's, he's washed Peter's feet too. And Peter's going to deny him. He washed Judas's feet, Judas is going to betray him. I don't know which one's worse, betrayal or denial. Maybe think about that one a little bit. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't settle on one of those. Betrayal is, is very lasting, but Peter was just Embarrassed? So weak, isn't it? Yeah. Like, a schoolgirl comes up to him. (laughs) She's like, you're with Jesus, aren't you? He's like, no, I don't even know the man. Like, really? Where's Peter's love? Do you see how weak our love is, how situationally dependent it is? I mean, we all want to say, we all want to say, nothing's going to take away my marriage. Nothing's going to take away my love for my kids. And I would say that. But I also know I'm a human. And that scares me. And so what do I do? That's the love. That's the love. That's the power. That's the Holy Spirit that creates. Love, real, profound love in my life. And so when, when he says this, we, we look at this and we go, man, Jesus had a steadfast love. It wasn't based upon like, whether Peter was going to be nice to him or not or, or whatever. It, he loved him, steadfastly so. Turn over to Luke chapter 15. We have the story of the prodigal son. Most of you know it. It's a pretty popular story, right? Where where the son leaves and takes everything from the dad. What you get in verse 24, when the son comes back, he finally realizes where he's been. He comes back. In verse 24, it says, For this my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. You see, this is is the steadfast love that even in the midst of our rebellion, even in the midst of us walking away, even in the midst of Peter's denial of Jesus, and maybe you're there and you're feeling lukewarm or you're feeling like you don't even know who God is anymore and you feel so distanced. God is waiting for your return. It's steadfast. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Why? Because God is love, and and he sits there and he waits. What does our worldly love do? Not that. It's time to move on. You see, Jesus' love is steadfast, it doesn't change in measure and how much he loves you, it doesn't change in how long he loves you, it doesn't change in how he loves you and on the measure of the quality or the quantity of love, Jesus's love remains steadfast for you even when your heart is not steadfast towards God. This is why we are faithful because he is faithful, he is worthy of us to place our faith in him if if his love changed i would not be up here talking about why we should follow him if god changed who he was if he was fickle if he was like these old like roman and greek you know made up gods and where like they would get mad and angry and they would shoot down lightning bolts and sometimes they would like you and sometimes they wouldn't i wouldn't be here and i hope you wouldn't be here either that is not who the actual creator of the universe is. He is love. He is a steadfast love. He is a unique love. He is love. And his love is troubled for you. This is that Jesus intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit groans with inward groanings on our behalf, even when we're living in rebellion. That's the good news. God wants to scoop us up and bring us back. And he wants us to be convicted and to repent and to come back to him like the prodigal son. And he's going to sit there and go, you were dead and now you're alive. You were lost and now you're found. Come experience love. Let me pray. Father, our...